Welcome to Dystopian Deep Dives with your host, Natalie Donna. Today is a conversation with Luke Dodson about William S. Burroughs' transhumanism and trauma. Without further ado, here's the show. I can't really remember quite how, but the, the text get, gets cut up and it, it just goes all over the place. And uh, he's just, you know, wrecking the whole civilization. And there's all of these kind of shape-shifting centipede monsters that are running around as well because he had this fear of centipedes so they're always cropping up in his writing as being evil um which is interesting um so yeah that that's that's the mayan caper but that that prefigures as yeah as i was kind of hinting at and tommy cowan has has expanded on it that that prefigures the whole 2012 thing uh, the Mayan calendar thing that, that, that came up a few years ago and was kind of started started by McKenna amongst other people but yeah you have said progress is the religion of the society what did you mean by that interesting well my thinking on these lines is initially this goes back to uh, a philosopher called John Gray um, he's a British philosopher and he uh, wrote a book called Straw Dogs in the early part of the century. And his, his point is not, I don't think it's original to him, but he, he made it very cogently and in a very accessible way, which is that uh, what's happened in Western society is that we've taken a Judeo-Christian teleology which is a kind of, uh, well, actually, uh, if I say Christian teleology, um, as far as I well, I don't know enough about Judaism to say. Uh, I suppose perhaps the Messiah returning could be considered an aspect of this, but I certainly know from uh, in Christian teleology, you have the notion, uh, depending on which uh, sect of Christianity we're talking about, uh, the notion of a... a an upward ascent effectively into a kind of timeless future where you have the apocalypse um, and it all gets a bit messy and then Jesus Christ comes back and then it's heaven on earth for, th- for a thousand years and then everything gets even better than that and then it's basically end of every- everything the end of everything you don't need to worry about anything after that it's, it's a, a straight line and <clears throat> what happened in the uh, in the sort of 18th century, 19th century, as uh, scientism started to pick up speed, as rationalism and materialism started to take over, uh, what you get is a transplanting of that eschatological narrative of history uh, onto a secular view, whereby um, it's not God and Jesus Christ that it makes everything amazing and last forever it's science and so the belief in that is uh is in my view and this is you know this is informed by john gray and also by uh, uh john michael greer uh, and a few others that it's akin to a religious faith and in fact it's it's so akin to a religious faith that i would say that there's basically no real difference uh between that and any other religious faith with the um the caveat that 
other forms of uh, theistic uh, faiths and uh, other sorts of uh, spiritually focused traditions uh, have the advantage of being uh, I'll rephrase that they have the advantage of putting their focus on the spiritual world and uh, in some cases that might be hope for the afterlife or in some cases maybe not even necessarily that uh, the the, the basically a sense of a transcendent order that's not contingent on the changing circumstances of the material world that we experience uh, and so that that's a that's a, a an important difference that means that the religion of progress I would say is in pretty shaky ground now and will only continue to be so um i that's a kind of a long-winded answer no it's okay because i think uh what i'm getting at with that is that i sort of there's a lot of things i kind of want to address in this conversation because i find all of these things to be sort of interrelated but the sort of transhumanist uh vision of you know kind of it's a fantasy isn't it and it is sort of this myth that uh progress and even technology are um, positive things. Um, they might not necessarily be positive or negative, but uh, I think the rush to develop these technologies is sort of based in fantasy and this sort of like uh, utopian vision that isn't, uh, I don't think, sustainable, which you've touched on in your work. Yes, absolutely. There's two... There's two facets to it. Is as my my friend Matt likes to ask: Is this is this feasible and is it desirable? Mm -hmm. And humanists would say it's not only desirable; it's also feasible. Uh, some people would say um, it's feasible but not desirable, and those are the people who are uh, would be you know concerned with the ongoing sort of technocratic takeover. Um, perhaps someone like Alison McDowell might fit into mm. that category. Um, I wouldn't want to speak for her, but I, 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 that she might be an example of someone who, who might think it's feasible, but definitely not desirable. And then you get people who don't think it's desirable or feasible. And I would say that I'm more in that category. You've touched on, I read, I think it was the first entry uh, of your blog or your website, uh, symbiotic culture, is it? Yes, that's right. Am I getting it right? Yeah. And uh, you talk a lot about that. And I think it's very interesting that you sort of noticed this uh, kind of takeover <clears throat> of the sort of ecological movement, so to speak, uh, mm. with, with this kind of technology. Um, and so why do you think dominant society is pushing what you call ecocide and what is ecocide? Hmm, good question. Uh, ecocide, probably someone else could define it better and more succinctly than me, but just hmm. off the top of my head, ecocide would be a, a general destruction of an entire ecosystem. Um, and it's... I've actually been reading uh, James Lovelock's book on Gaia, uh, Practical Science for Planetary Medicine, and I have some issues with James Lovelock because he kind of is a transhumanist, basically. But 
clever guy and um he writes well and he, he uh, uh explains a lot of these these principles very well and his his point is that uh, an ecosystem and in fact in the case of the earth um, a, a collection of ecosystems a kind of meta ecosystem uh, can be considered to be a living organism as well so ecocide conceptually is kind of working with that as a general premise that an entire an entire system can be considered to be a unit of organism uh, and well if we look at our own bodies our eyes mm. uh, emerged originally um, from a kind of symbiotic relationship we had with the particular organism uh, that was light sensitive that was photosensitive and that in our very 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 ancient prehistory that ended up being the eyes that <laughs> most animals have uh so you could say that in our own and you know we have a microbiome we have lots of different organisms operating so you could say that a, an individual human or an individual uh yeah uh, there's a universe with inside the body itself mm, yeah um so so going back to ecocide that that would be a, a you know um to destroy a to destroy a forest is not to just just destroy the trees it's to destroy all of the uh, life forms that are dependent on those trees as well mm. so that would be my definition of ecocide off the top of my head yeah and i think the destruction of even just connection to the material seems to be a sort of transhumanist uh idea as well definitely yeah yeah this seems to really be a um recurring theme and preoccupation but i think uh really this sort of gnostic kind of um discomfort with uh the material realm uh plays out in both burrow's work and uh the sort of transhumanist project and i see interesting parallels there however with uh burrow's it's sort of like really ironic to me because these methods of, of deconstruction that were supposed to escape mechanisms of control are, I see, being used by these very, uh, you know, powers of be sort of mechanisms. Uh, yeah. And it's, I think it's very interesting and ironic. Um, so some of the, just to dive into that, some of the project of the Discordians and Burroughs, as well as uh, postmodernists, is to dismantle the word uh, yeah. Do you believe we are seeing the manifestation of this project today in sort of this kind of ironic form like I was just touching on? Yes, in a short answer, yes. And it, it's, it's really interesting that you, you phrase it like that because that's clarified some of my uh, thinking currently because uh, as, as we said in, we were saying in the emails, um, mm -hmm. it's quite an odd synchronicity that that you uh, you contacted me with respect to the the, the dissertation I wrote um, uh, on on Burroughs, partly uh, alongside um, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, um, mm -hmm. because I, I've been revisiting that work uh, recently, and um, um, due to various circumstances, kind of 
pointing me back to it, like one of those emails I got from ac academia.edu going, you've got your fifth mention, 50% off premium, and just kind of, you don't need to buy premium, you just need to do a Google search to see who's been citing you. But, so I did that and found quite an interesting article by a, a guy who'd studied at Amsterdam. Tommy Cowan, I believe, was the author. Yeah. Um, so you found this, and what what did you think of the, that work? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I so I I I stumbled across this article, and I really enjoyed it and found it interesting, and and was appreciative that uh, that you know he'd he'd cited me in uh, quite a you know a complimentary manner, um, and it was really it's. It's re-stimulated a lot of thinking about this subject because the, the point he was making in that article was exactly the kind of point that I was trying to make back in 2012 uh, and to some extent later with the breaking convention papers that I delivered, but really mainly with the dissertation thesis that I did, which was my sort of, you know, sticking it to the, you know, the reductionists in, in the academy who are like, only interested in the sort of the um, uh, the boring like uh, literary theory aspects of Burroughs, and I wanted to go, like, yeah, but he was a weird chaos magician and all this. Right? Kind of yes. <laughs> yes. Like, well, there's often this shying away, right, of discussion of any literary figure or historical figure who has had uh, interest in the esoteric. Uh, I mean, even Newton, right? So there's just so many figures like this um, that we can draw on. And I wonder why the discussion is so uh, taboo within the academy, because it's there. Yeah, it's a very good question. I think part of it goes back to this religion of progress that we were talking about before. And that basically the, 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 the narrative of progress runs that, well, at one point we used to believe in silly things like magic, and then we discovered religion, and then that was a bit better. And then we discovered science, and then we just cracked it. And science is also this, as you said, this sort of uh, secular kind of religion as well. I mean, uh, we can see this play out in the current narrative that we've been living through for the last two years uh, with, you know, that which will not be mentioned, but the C-19 narrative really is, is this sort of uh, ode to science as a faith-based system. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, we're it's incredible. that in real time, like the, the, the transforming, uh, the, or the unveiling rather of uh, the, the, the official priesthood uh, with, mm -hmm. um, with Pope Fauci the first. Uh, <laughs> and you know these sort of unveilings of these weird statues outside there's like a weird statue some some hospital somewhere maybe north america i don't know but uh it's this huge statue of this kind of saintly messianic nurse uh with <laughs> ppe equipment over her face and possibly holding a syringe probably i wouldn't be surprised i can't really remember but it's like public art yeah somewhere great yeah it was just really weird uh but i also studied uh um comparative literature and i oh. always wondered why so like when we got to blake 
and you know he has all this art and i'm like why aren't we talking about you know the very obvious sort of like esoteric imagery here uh mm. within so just kind of going back why do you think the academy shies away from it is it just because it's too hard to put a sort of materialist kind of analysis to like a kind of marxist because you know i i feel like it's a very strange time in the academy it's like a mixture of marxism and like a sort of postmodernism at the same time yeah you yeah. have that feeling like it's very yeah. strange um but so why do you think they shy away from talking about it why is it taboo uh yeah i mean with with the sort of the the blend of marxism and postmodernism as you say which the two don't always fit so neatly together no they don't i feel like they're diametrically opposed but yeah it's like it you, you know that they, they they actually and there's there is actually evidence that the french government were were uh encouraging the post-structuralists as mm -hmm. a way of undermining the the far left in the academy mm. You know, yeah, you know. actually, one of the so I used to uh, do a lot of sort of digging into the radical feminism sphere because of transgenderism. And one of my ideas was sort of that uh, in order to kind of dismantle the radical analysis that these women were kind of coming to, uh, postmodernism sort of had to be kind of ushered in. Uh, um, and, and we do see that in what we call like. I guess like modern feminism or, or liberal feminism. Um, it's totally, or like queer theory, it's an offshoot. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to get too far off topic. Uh, just to like rewind a little bit to Burroughs too, because I, I, I do find a lot of parallels and I wonder if in a way, I mean, you, you do talk about sort of how the postmodernists kind of don't get Burroughs to the extent of what he's doing with his like kind of medical, meta, not medical, metaphysical journey kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and, but in a way, I think, I wonder if Burroughs sort of anticipated the metaverse in a way with kind of like that interzone idea. It's mm -hmm. what you say, it's geographically impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also sort of full of like, what we call now like intersectionality, I suppose, mm -hmm. or just sort of like Uber, like kind of uh, like do whatever kind of you want situation. Um, and I'm wondering if you think it's because Burroughs may have known through like any kind of family connections. It's a little kind of conspiratorial there, but I'm wondering because Burroughs isn't, you know, he came from a family that sort of had some connection. They were kind of like new money, right? Yes. More, more so. I believe so. I mean, I, I don't actually know about his, his long-term family history, but I know his uncle was Ivy Lee, mm -hmm. who yeah, they're one of the, uh, the founders of modern public relations. But yeah, so, um, oh, so yeah, he, he comes from this family, as you say, uh, uh, quite wealthy, um, you know, his uncle's Ivy Lee, uh, he, as he, I found out recently, and not particularly surprised, but I didn't know this, uh, through the Tommy Cowan article that I found, uh, he was uh, sexually abused as a child. And so uh, this started to get me thinking about Burroughs as a product of trauma, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, you know, this is a, 
a topic that I've connected with uh, Jason Horsley on quite a few times. Uh, we've done a few uh, recorded podcasts on this sort of thing. And the, the, the nature of trauma arising from a particular kind of uh, political, social, cultural elite. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I can see Burroughs as being coming is coming from that elite you know he's gone through the the trauma he's come out of it basically he's trying to reintegrate himself he's in pieces you know and this is what i think the cut-ups was a reflection of really his 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 obsession with cut-ups uh both in terms of text and film and photographic media as well but also as a form of ritual too. As a form of ritual, yeah, as absolutely, as a as a as a a full on uh, uh, occult practice. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a, a manifestation of his own sense of sort of inner fragmentation. It's like, okay, if I just cut, if I cut this up and put it back together, maybe then that I can I can come to some coherence. That's just like off the top of my head just one one way of looking at uh, what he was doing there and you know his yeah his his writing as you say you have all this uh this obsession with control of control mm -hmm. like this evil force that right and they're shapeshifters right and we often see a lot of that kind of play out in uh you know what i kind of call like conspiracy lore uh you yeah, know and stuff yeah exactly so yeah. i i often and also we have a lot of reports of like when people do sort of deep uh sort of like maybe meditation sometimes and, and these kinds of practices uh, occasionally entities will appear um you know some i, I believe burroughs was pretty obsessed with like these alien kind of entities um Yes. Some might also call demons. While we're on the topic of Burroughs, so his connection with this sort of like orgone machine, this kind of like sexual energy situation. What do you yeah. think of all that? Uh, I, I, I don't know too much about Wilhelm Reich. I, I do know that, that, that he was probably onto something because the American government shut him down. So I think there's that. I, I also know that a lot of his ideas seeped into the rest of the culture in a very strange way sometimes in the, the heady days of the sexual revolution and uh, um, were applied in some quite um, unsavory manners uh, that I, I'm not I, I mm. don't necessarily think that Wilhelm Reich would have approved that at all um, but you know uh, I don't know too much about him uh, I, I know that William Burroughs used to make orgone accumulators mm -hmm. and there's this sort of there's a there's a strange kind of thread that runs through burrow's writings sort of obsession with the sort of ejaculation which is quite off-putting uh reading <laughs> reading his writing i was just sort of like oh come on mate do you have to do you have another one like really just it's always very weird because it's always in the context as well, it's often the context of uh, a young boy being hung to death and then him sort of ejaculating at the point of death, which is a 
was a I think a an old wives' tale about something that happens at the point of of um, of hanging, and um, he seemed really obsessed with this. Hmm. So his interest in Reich, obviously, he was you know obsessed with sex in a sort of negative way. Yes, yeah. It seemed like he 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 felt sex was a, a the sexual drive was a a, a trap uh, mm-hmm. and. That is, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously his libido was contorted in all kinds of hideous ways by his trauma, and it manifested in hideous ways in his life. So um, I, I would say I would say that his interest in Wilhelm Reich was another manifestation of his desire really to, to sort himself out and heal. Uh, yeah, which... I mean, he seems to go through lots of uh, I guess like a spiritual journey, really, one would call it, like touches on Scientology for a little while. Um, yeah, goes into sort of this orgone machine situation. Um, even had to, I, I found this quote in, I believe this is your dissertation about Buddhism and sort of, he's very cheeky with it where uh, he'll, he says something that sounds very Buddhist, but then, you know, Buddhism isn't, uh, it'll give you a lot of spiritual baggage. I think he says something like that, which I find very interesting, you know, coming back to the kind of, maybe he was meditating and seeing beings. And I, I, I often wonder about that. Yeah. Just back to this sort of like creation out of destruction and the sort of cut up method of, and like ritual, and sort of maybe he had gone through some kind of ritual abuse. Uh, I just, I find the whole Mayan connection very interesting. And, and I never actually read uh, the work that you reference in your uh, dissertation. Um, but which is the one where he's discussing, you know, fighting these uh, Mayan sort of ruler, shapeshifter um, beings? Yes, I think that was a chapter from The Soft Machine. Okay. And it was called The Mayan Caper. And he, he, he figures out a way of traveling through time that basically, as usual, involves like sodomizing a young man or something like that. I can't really remember, but it's like something like the, 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 the typical kind of burrows. It's like, yeah, that, that's, that would be the the method of time travel and the William Burroughs short story of course anyway um uh he ends up back in the Mayan the height of the classical Mayan civilization and uh I don't really remember too much of the details but he uses cut-ups as a way of, of destroying the civilization uh which is kind of interesting thinking about I never really made the connection with like as like the idea of the protagonist as a kind of conquistador but uh anyway that's maybe an aside um he 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 uses cut-ups somehow I can't really remember quite how but the the text get gets cut up and it it just goes all over the place and uh he's just you know wrecking the whole civilization and there's all of these kind of shape-shifting centipede monsters that are running around as well because he had this 
fear of centipedes. So they're always crop, cropping up in his writing as being evil, um, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's that's the Mayan caper, but that that prefigures as yeah as I was kind of hinting at, and Tommy Cowan has has expanded on it. That that prefigures the whole 2012 thing, uh, the Mayan calendar thing that 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 came up a few years ago and was kind of started started by McKenna amongst other people but yeah hmm. uh, but I do think it's interesting that Burroughs sort of his technique maybe for even dealing with trauma or going through abuse of perhaps maybe ritual initiation who knows I just feel like him knowing so much about or being obsessed so much with a Mayan calendar before that was kind of a thing. Sort of, so his way of sort of dealing with the trauma and these cut-ups and things, sort of this creation through destruction or reassembling, I feel is the same kind of stuff that, you know, we're doing with this kind of post-truth mm. society now. It's very interesting, the parallel, I think. Yeah. Um, and I do think this society has been heavily traumatized you know with the events of 9-11 and uh uh the one that we're living through right now um so i i just i think the parallels are very interesting and i'm wondering if he sort of and either anticipated or just sort of i don't know also had a little bit of in there mm. um yeah. yeah well he i think he he anticipated by uh, observing what was going on around him and mm -hmm. you know, his family, uh, perhaps uh, as well as the the, you know, the the rest of the world. I also think that he participated in it, and he he one of the things that looking at Burroughs's life story is so tragic. I find is that he never broke that cycle mm. you know he he killed his wife yes he 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 his son committed suicide mm -hmm. it's a very very sad story yeah it's, oh well he committed suicide by sort of self-neglect effectively mm -hmm. um having been uh, horribly traumatized uh as a result of growing up in that family his, you know his mother having been shot by his father and all kinds of other things. Uh, and, you know, Burroughs himself was on and off a junkie for most of his life. Uh, and, you know, one of his one of his sexual interests was in very, very, very young boys. And it, it, there, there has to be a relationship between that and his experience of sexual abuse. You know, the, the, and this is something that this is, again, this is something I, I, I haven't really read much Burroughs scholarship for a long time so I don't know maybe maybe someone out there is going into this and looking at it but to me it's like I'm almost coming back to this stuff now uh, and and looking at okay you've got the sort of the postmodern sort of queer theory people going oh Burroughs is this amazing transgressive queer writer <laughs> The well, they are very uh they they'll rewrite even two years ago history so yeah well exactly they'll, they'll rewrite history as it's happening now so you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. 
And then you've got like, you know, people like myself back in 2012 and Tommy Cowan going, no, oh, but there's this weird, you know, sort of occult stuff. That's interesting too. And I'm, now me in 2022, I'm sort of going, okay, yeah, there's that, there's that, but let's pull it back to the psychology of the man and also the effect that he had upon the culture, which is, you know, uh, he, he became a counter countercultural icon. It's pretty profound, um, I'd say. Yeah, he had a huge impact. And, and in that sense, you know, I, I'm not blaming him for anything, I'm not blaming anyone in a sense. I think, you know, there's a, a degree of complicity that everyone has in a system that they participate in. But he kind of became a culture maker and in doing so helped to sort of create the world that we see now. Uh, and I, I can't separate, for example, his, I can't separate his abuse trauma from the trauma that he inflicted upon the, you know, the underage Arab boys in North Africa or whatever it is from the, you know, the evidence of, of organized child abuse in certain elite circles in uh, many countries, including Britain and the United States. So to me, it's like, okay, I'm not, it's not about condemning and it's not about condoning. It's just about being aware that there's, there's something really fucked up going on in society. And that's what I find missing in, uh, particularly in academia, that, that there's an unwillingness to kind of look at society in what I would say is just this sort of the, the bare reality of it, which, uh, you know, um, people like yourself and I uh, have, have become accustomed to doing. Yeah, it's very strange once you start to sort of uh, look further into all of the connections of, of these kinds of practices of the occult uh, overlapping with the elite as well. And even in uh, one of the earlier things you put, the, what is this on your blog here? I'll just call it a blog, but uh, because it's one of the things that you wrote, and it was, I think, the first thing you wrote, Android Wolves, Electric Sheep, Eco-Modernism, and the Rise of Green Technocracy. So you started sort of noticing this stuff there. Basically, you started noticing these guys kind of talk about uh, how we could use technology to kind of get out of where we're in concerning the kind of like ecological destruction that we're going through. But what I wanted to mention was because it was what I really wanted to mention was you connected Epstein here with this guy, uh, Brand, who's this guy, Brand? Stuart Brand, Stuart Brand, yeah. So you yeah. said whether it's the Breakthrough Institute making apologies for fracking, Brand making the ecological case for geoengineering, or the Edge Foundation helping Epstein market himself as a science philanthropist, the common thread I'm seeing here is that they are all effectively acting as PR agents for those who trade in exploitation. In other words, helping android wolves appear to be electric sheep. Do you see parallels between transhumanism and the new age project of transcending one's own body? Is transhumanism a form of Gnosticism? Oh, interesting. Uh, so the first question, yes. 
Absolutely. And uh, there's an interesting document, I don't know if you've come across it, called The Changing Images of Man, that was written by Willis Harmon in 1975. And this, uh, this was published by the Stanford Research Institute, uh, which was, uh, I think, CIA-funded uh, kind of semi-independent, semi-autonomous facility of the Stanford University, which I think had to officially declare itself independent from Stanford University when the Stanford left-wing radicals found out that the CIA had a, a basically a psychological mk ultra laboratory within their own university they got a bit upset so they had a look oh well it's it's not anymore but actually it was but anyway um the stanford research institute published this uh this document changing images images of man uh, in 1975 and it lays out basically the blueprint for a transhumanist new age religion that would uh revive american Kind of public life basically it would mm. bring disaffected american youth back into the fold of of uh liberal capitalism and mm, it seems to have worked out it, it seems to work quite quite well yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's you know it's been bumpy at points i think you know there's there's some there's some uh there's some teething teething issues there as, as always but it's it's overall it's it's it it, it worked uh, yeah, I think that's why this narrative, again, that we've been going through now for two years has worked so well. Um, I don't believe there are a lot of radical thinkers left uh, at all. Mm. So, hmm. yes, yes. Uh, it, so, yeah, that, that, so in answer to your first question, uh, the new age and transhumanist ideologies to me, that they're, they're not, they're not exactly one and the same like there's not an, a perfect overlap on the venn diagram but mm. there is a huge overlap nonetheless um and you know uh yeah i i in terms of gnosticism also yeah um you know i i i, I don't actually know too much about gnosticism in depth i recently read ion by carl jung um which is crazy it's i mean it's amazing but it's it's like mind-bending do you think uh, it's true what Jung said that uh, man's biggest threat is his own psyche um or not reconciling i think between the psyche yes, yes. um and i think and, part um, of what has yeah. played and i think understanding one's own psyche or even coping with the natural i think all of this has played a huge role in again the covid 19 narrative yes. uh and and it, in it being successful yeah um, yeah absolutely i mean the the, the inability to face death which mm -hmm. you know i think is you could bracket under the inability to face one's own psyche um really because uh it's facing the unknown um it's the same thing mm -hmm. uh, the fear of death is rooted in i mean the unconscious drives so you you could you could see that there's a there's a, a um a, a sort of 
correlation there. But um, that that is the so the, the the root of transhumanism, I think, is the inability to to face death. Same. And, yes, I would agree. Yeah, uh, and 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 the same with like, the or COVID. just sort of natural, uh, just natural law, sort of just to make it easy. Um, yeah, just just the 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 rough and tumble and the you know entropy, etc. Yeah, yeah, the 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 natural flows of the universe um mm -hmm. that, that obey their own guiding principles that many of which we probably don't know and probably will never know and that's okay mm, and you actually it. have a rather optimistic take on all of this which i find very refreshing um again going back to the the one uh entry here uh that you wrote uh i found it very optimistic you're like this isn't you know, it again, it kind of goes back into this. It's kind of all based in a fantasy in a way. Yes. Yes. I I don't particularly think that a lot of these uh, technocratic dreams will come to pass. I don't think, I think the metaverse is just all hot air. Mm -hmm. I think people want it. I mean, no. you know, the, the, the comments under the video, even if it was actually feasible to make something like that, like all of the comments on the YouTube video were just rinsing Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Absolutely no way, you know. Um, the He's so uncomfortable in that whole thing. Fantastic. And what I found really funny was that he had to get actors even to play his virtual friends. Right. It's just like, are you poor man? Like you're just a lonely man, aren't you? You just need some friends. Like just this whole thing, this whole life seems to be this sort of you know this desperate need for connection and validation and uh, but yeah i i so that's you know that's one example but a, a lot of these other things you know I, I just i've seen technology just too inefficient over the course of my life i've seen technological progress uh generally result in just more more everyday irritation yeah, doesn't doesn't it seem that their version of progress, first of all, it's based on this idea of disruption, right? Mm. Uh, so it's very strange. It's not really real progress, even if you, I mean, I don't think, but, uh, or because to me, I think without, you know, kind of delving into the psyche or the metaphysical, there can be no real progress uh, and and it's this sort of fake material kind of like what we were saying this kind of uh, scientism this faith in all of this data all of this stuff is is eventually going to solve all the problems which is just not true and it's very foolish um i think why do you think the tech race to an unsustainable metaverse is more important to the UN than feeding people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, their, their priority, they've got their priorities there, haven't they? Is, uh, um, we've got to get everyone access to the internet. Uh, Isn't oh, that yeah. wild? It's crazy. I've always thought that I think this sort of harkens back to this the whole space race kind of thing where I'm like, but uh, couldn't we start by like maybe just feeding people 
or like making people yeah. have shelter, etc. Yeah, it's like okay, if they're re if it's really feasible to have colonies on Mars, <laughs> you want to try and have a colony on Earth that works. Like, that actually, literally, like we can't terraform our own planet. Like we've tried to make the the Biosphere Two project. Uh, really interesting story. Uh, I believe a film came out about it a few years ago. But uh, I've, I've I've done a bit of research into that, and that's fascinating. Of just the attempt to create a terraformed, self-sustaining, independent, uh, self-sufficient ecosystem using human-made tech on Earth where you have all of the resources and the atmosphere and the gravity and everything is just on your side. It's, it's so perfectly designed for you that it almost looks as if there's some kind of uh, divine force behind it and you still can't make it work. And like, how are you going to get it to work on Mars? It's <laughs> not going to work, you know, even, and that's not even, not even uh, taking into consideration the, the fact that we are at, we're at peak everything in Richard Right. Hunt. You know, we, the only thing we're not running out of is aluminum, as you guys say in America. We say aluminum. Uh, it, it's, it's the only thing that, that you can recycle uh, uh, so easily, and it's quite abundant, and it's not a particularly important part of our infrastructure um we're running out of oil uh natural gas yeah i mean even supply chain issues in terms of microchips yeah recently and yeah. all of this technology is as you mentioned and as i always think is it's made out of all these rare minerals and earth like none yeah. of it's sustainable it's such a pie in the sky fantasy and i think part of it is to I'm not sure why the it all just seems as banal as like military industrial complex. Yes. That's, that's how boring it seems. Yeah. Um, yeah because otherwise I don't really understand the need and uh, part of the crisis I think was that was manufactured with this was to, well, to play a sort of psychological uh, mind game. And I find it interesting again with this kind of Burroughs parallel where maybe he did know a lot about what you know, the, the elites were up to. Same with like maybe Huxley or mm -hmm. even Orwell to an extent, some people say. Yes. Um, you know, you kind of have to be in the game to like know enough to maybe even satirize it, you know. So um, just, just these connections with Burroughs uh, kind of, and the postmodernist kind of like, molding things to where they would want them to be maybe as a, a a sort of trauma maybe with the postmodernist kind of result of like post-war era kind of situation right like dealing with world war ii etc also these sort of the techtopia versus the the other opposite end right like the let's throw everything away do you believe there's a middle ground yeah i do yeah i think it's the one we're just going to have to deal with and this is, again, you know, I, I, I come back to the work of John Michael Greer, uh, James Howard Kunstler, um, Richard Heinberg, uh, people like that, Dmitry Orloff as well, Alice, Alice Friedman, uh, uh, author of When the Truck Stopped Running. Uh, and, you know, the, these, 
this community of of writers and commentators has really opened my eyes anyway to the uh the possibility of a gradual decline um and a, a gradual contraction that can take place over decades and even centuries in the long run uh and this is helped me anyway to to visualize a, a future that I, f I find most plausible which is it's not like oh we're going to end up in space and then eventually on computers and then we're gonna like even if the sun burns out it's fine because we'll just have colonized the entire universe just i just think it's i think it's so preposterous i don't understand how anyone can entertain it seriously but you know well I i'm know. one of those people that does not think that we got past low orbit so right <laughs> fair enough so yeah it's uh i mean you know that's that's a whole other that's a whole other <laughs> that's another can of worms yeah um which i i mean who knows maybe uh but i mean it's certainly i don't think whatever part of the uh the you know the beyond earth's orbit point we may or may not have got to we definitely aren't going any further than we've already gone and even if we do like we're not we're not staying there but we're not coming back and we're not it, it's just you know oh and the the other side of that is like either sort of complete chaos and just this overnight destruction and just everything's just falling apart and people are you know, riding around in dune buggies, even though there's no petrol, but for some reason they've got dune buggies. And, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, a Mad Max situation, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, sort of Charles Manson meets Mad Max sort of thing. Uh, and, and, or, you know, like, it's just sort of, like, instant retransition back into some sort of Stone Age time, but, you know, uh, post-apocalyptic stone age. Yeah, I think there's a sort of romanticization of primitivism in certain circles that I find a little um, hypocritical, to say the least. That's interesting. Uh, that's I'm very familiar with primitivism, having been uh, raised with, uh, sort of, raised with that in that kind of environment. Uh, mm. Not primitive environment, but a sort of, a theoretically primitivist environment. Uh, so I was very familiar with John Zerzan, who uh, I have some issues with now. But um, yeah, I I do agree. Uh, I I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of romanticization of primitive. It's sort of the flip side of like they're all just brutish savages clubbing each other over clubbing each other with with bones and just like the kind of beginning of two thousand one a space odyssey just like. You know, just like just endless stupid war and just idiocy, uh, and then there's a sort of the other side of it, which is like everyone was this, you know, endlessly, uh, wonderfully uh, uh, utopian kind of communist, uh, whatever stroke, you know, gender fluid, whatever the whatever the set of, and you know, I mean, you know, there, there's there there is some evidence that. Uh, certain types of hunter-gatherer societies are do tend to be tend towards egalitarianism, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean everything's like hunky-dory and perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I see that too in some radical feminist circles as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So it it goes on, uh, and uh, I think it's just kind of important to place yourself here 
Um, and I think the kind of break from reality, that's what I find the, the thread that sort of runs throughout is sort of this, first of all, this traumatized society that's dealing with kind of a break from reality and then kind of inventing all of these methods to cope with that. Mm. So yes. from Burroughs to the transhumanist futurists to, yeah. you know, the sort of uh, kind of back to nature. It's very interesting to me. I, I don't fall into really <laughs> I'm, uh, any of those categories, but um, I find all of these things to be, I think, kind of related in a way, um, especially yes. when dealing with the esoteric and kind of this belief that... Uh, I think sort of the Gnostic belief that things here aren't very good um, mm. and mm. Uh, we can improve them, you know, through technology or through, if, if it were Burroughs, maybe this cut up method of dealing with literature. I mean, lots of people practice that method, which, you know, even David Bowie mm. and, and as you mentioned, you know, it comes from, I guess, the Dadaists. Um, so it's it's sort of this creative method that people have used, I think, a lot. Um, maybe not to the extent of seriousness as maybe Burroughs did in the sort of ritualistic manner, I think, or I believe he was using it in. But I think also David Bowie too. So <laughs> yeah, back to the whole like chaos magician situation. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, but, chaos magic, oh, carry on. No, I'm done. <laughs> Chaos magic itself is, um, you know, it, 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 during the time that I wrote that dissertation, I was just sort of coming out of my chaos magic dabbling phase. And um, it, it's coming back to it recently and sort of discovering some, some work by people like Nathaniel Harris, uh, who was quite was quite involved in the chaos magic scene and there's really some quite dark stuff to say about a lot of it um it you know it it gels with my sense that there's a very traumatized approach to esotericism going on mm. uh in a lot of the occult scene and i i'm you know i'm very sympathetic to uh the the, the the rare voices that are trying to bring a, a a grounded approach to the occult like john michael greer um i can't think of many others uh, many other contemporaries but you know and you know, going back in in time people like dion fortune uh rudolf steiner in his own way carl jung in his own way i think these people brought something you know, not necessarily that everything they said was right um, Steiner had some pretty strange ideas, but nonetheless, they had some, there was something about them that I would describe as basically wholesome, that they were trying, they were really, you know, that the, the aim was to achieve some sort of integration with yourself, within yourself, but also within the cosmos. And that, those, that, that, that approach to esotericism seems to me to have been eclipsed by like, Alistair Crowley's and the sort of chaos magic guys and the sort of like it doesn't matter you just gotta fuck with reality and fuck right. with your conscience and take drugs and just do whatever the you know just do anything you need it's very much about power 
and um you know i, I it, it's been eye-opening to me to see that, that that ideology which i thought was kind of cool and like edgy and maybe i could make use of it when i was in my early 20s it's like oh right that has a massive overlap with, with child abuse of course yeah. you throw out all morality and you make everything about your own power then there's no breaks on your behavior so it's like well you know basically if you're just a an edgy edgy young 22 year old 23 year old who just likes taking acid and trying to get laid that you know it's like <laughs> it's whatever it's like but when you're actually someone who's deeply traumatized and messed up in the head then you're going to take that to all kinds of extremes that you know the the, the young sort of the young goths don't really <laughs> can't comprehend you know yeah well um i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today yeah uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you thanks for thanks for having me on